Bird's Eye View is brought to you by Be More Around Town. We saw it ourselves on opening day. There's no better way to spend a day before heading down to the yard to catch an Orioles game. Be More Around Town offers group tickets and an all-inclusive pregame party with food, drinks, and DJ included. Want to see the O's on the road? Be More Around Town has you covered. They've got orange road trip packages to New York to see both the Mets and the Yankees, Philly, Cleveland, and D.C. There are orange road trip packages to fit just about any budget, with options for transportation, game tickets, drink specials, and so much more. To find out more, go to BeMoreAroundTown.com. And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is April 20th, 2015, and this is episode 118. My name is Jake English, and I'm here, as always, riding on the coattails of one Mr. Scott Magnus. Now, if you're listening to our voices right now, it's very likely that you found us on our website, which is Bird's Eye View Baltimore. Dot com. It's also possible that you found us at the Baltimore Sports Report Network, as we are proud members of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can find that at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. There you can find a bunch of other great shows about Baltimore sports. Make sure that you check out Baltimore Sports Today, which is BSR's daily podcast. Check out Cody Colston and his BSR Weekly Updates, and also tune in all season as we bring you BSR Post Game Live, in which you might see... A little bit of me and Scott. A lot of me and Scott. <laughs> you and Scott? Yeah, me and Scott. <laughs> if you uh, if you choose to do so, you can also get this show on third-party platforms. Uh, Stitcher and iTunes, of course, we encourage you to use Stitcher. But if you must use that Apple product, please make sure you rate the show and leave us a review. We'd love to help it. It really helps us. Also, Miro, uh, Double Twist, other options are out there. Popsicle, Creamsicle. Ice cream sandwich. Dude, we need to come up with the uh, creamsicle uh, third-party application and make our millions that Make a lot of money. Also, find us on social media. You can do it the regular way. YouTube channel. There's Google+. Plus. There's Facebook at facebook.com slash BEVcast. But the best way to do it is... Twitter at Birds B-A-L. Jake, drink of the week? Drink of the week. It's the most wonderful time of the show. Scotty, what are you drinking? Jake, I am drinking a Full Tilt Brewing India Pale Ale... Aged over oak barrels. Uh, not too bad, actually. A little bit on the hoppier side. Probably not something that you would like, but not terrible beer. I'm envious. I'm envious. I, myself, am drinking a Primal Pale Ale from the Evolution Craft Brewing Company. <sighs> I'm going to give it a full yeah. yeah. And I know that, uh, you know, I know that there are some out there. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Derek Arnold. So, some of you out there that may judge me for that, but I stand by my yeah. And with that, let's go to the twat. This week on the Twitter. Our first tweet comes from Jonathan Bernhardt. You can follow him at John Bernhardt. And he's post, if you're an Orioles fan, and that, uh, sorry, if you're an Orioles fan, what you're hoping for is real about Jones isn't a home run percentage or slugging percentage, but the K percentage, which is at 8.7%, is under half his career. He's Mr. Everything right now. Mr. Everything, definitely. I want Adam Jones to be my dad. You know, I kind of... Talked about this briefly in my post on Bob Bird's Eye View regarding plate discipline. And Jones has shown he 
moderate change to plate discipline, not swinging so much outside the zone. So I think we do focus on the aspect of him making some bad swings, but it definitely looks like he's improving slightly at the plate. The thing is, he's hitting balls out of the zone, out of the park. Yeah. And I think that needs to be paid attention to. He's really, really hot right now, but I don't think that he's that far off as normal. Am I, am I wrong? No, And but the interesting thing is there was a comment made today that Jones was told something by Scott Kubal, and ever since he was told that, something has changed. Maybe it was, hey, keep your eyes open when you're swinging at the ball. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next on the tour. Or it was, hey, you should bring your mom to more games. <laughs> no, that was Boston fans. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, next on the twat, we've got, I'm going to say it's nice to have options. And this comes from uh, Tides Notes, which tweets at Tides Notes. Nolan Reimold has posted a 480 OBP over the first six games of 2015, and he's hit 350, in that case was 7 for 20, with five walks, one RBI, and two stolen bases. Do you hear that? Do you hear that sound? That's the sound of David Lowe looking over his shoulder. Mm, I see. I was thinking Delman Young, but that's just me. <laughs> All right, next on the twat, we've got a tweet from Utah Street Reporter. Of course, our friends over at Utah Street, they tweet at Utah ST Report. Uh, it's a picture of Chris Davis snapping a bat over his knee, which I don't know about you, Scotty, but it, it makes me the sad clown. Um, and the tweet is as follows. Chris I miss Dav- you, Bo Jackson. <laughs> Chris Davis contact percentage per uh, at Fangraphs, 2012, 71. Okay. 2013, 69.3. Okay, deviation, yeah. 2014, 66.5. Oh, bad 2015, 60.4. Ouch. That's not good. That's not good at all. And I think I'm lifting this directly from either uh, Orioles Uncensored or Utah Street Report, and I can't remember which one it was, but it basically said when you're, when you're talking about contact-to-damage ratio, you need to make contact. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Uh, next one is... Who's his poppy? This comes from Rockabaco. You're following him at Mass and Rock. David Ortiz's last three ejections have come against the hashtag Orioles. I believe one phone was destroyed at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Okay. Yeah. 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 I like that. I like that. Um, here's one. I talked about Orioles and Censored. Love those guys. You should be listening to their podcast. This is in the category of what have you done for me lately? And it is as follows. With the arrival of Joseph, there's no chance I'm paying Weeders big money. Wow. I, you know, I'm loving, I'm loving Joseph. I'm loving it. Loving Joseph right now. But I'm not willing to go that far. Nor do I think that Joseph is going to keep up this performance throughout the entire season. I, I said that what have you done for me lately on purpose because I think that that's a mode that a lot of fans get into. And I think, frankly, it's dangerous. You know, there's a lot of fans out there that like to think about things that have happened over only the past few years and really only the past decade and you went up to that city that has only been reliving baseball over the past decade and has forgot everything that occurred 80 years prior. So, Jake, let's go through and talk about your little road trip. Trailer for sale or rent. Rooms to let 50 cents. No phone, no pool, no pets Ain't got no cigarettes Ah, but two hours of pushing broom Buys a eight by twelve four-bit room I'm a man of means by no means King of the road That may, be a, that may have been the whitest bit of podcasting we've ever done <laughs> 
Yeah, so I uh, I took a trip this weekend to uh, to go see the Orioles. This was big for me, Scott, because uh, we talked about this is the- a monumental moment for you as a Orioles fan. It was huge, yeah. and we talked about a lot on this program. I was not willing to travel with this team no. because they had done me wrong for so long, and yep. I was not willing to go and watch them get their brains beat mm-hmm. in and live the embarrassment in public. And uh, that that time is over. As a long sufferer of post-traumatic stress disorder, you have um, <laughs> decided to try to overcome that and have some sensory training by going outside of your normal routine. So, Jake, you took a trip up to Boston. Um, we don't need to play that ridiculous song because I'm sure you heard plenty of it this weekend. Oh, God, it's terrible. Um, but give us your retrospective of your kind of your drive up there and your trip to Fenway Park. So, Jake, let's start with you on the road by yourself going up to Boston. All right. So first and foremost, I have to throw a shout out to my wife. My wife had a conference in Boston that week and she said, Hey, why don't you come up and join me? And I thought to myself, yeah, we'll do the tourist thing. It's great. And she said, no, look at the calendar. I had no idea what she was talking about. And she said, look at the calendar. She said, no, we're going to go watch the Orioles play because she's the perfect woman. Anyway. And your response was squeeze. It was a little okay. bit like that. So she she had flown up ahead of time. I I uh, drove to join her. By the way, uh, had some car trouble this week. Mm. Uh, got a loaner from the dealer, and when the car wasn't ready on Friday, when I was ready to leave town, mm. I definitely drove nine hundred miles on a rental and didn't have to pay for it. Nice, kind of a dick move, but I was I was a big fan. So yeah, that's so what I, makes you king of the road. <laughs> I drove up there, and I had oh, uh, king of the road. Sorry, I'm going to keep doing that the whole podcast now. No snapping. Thank you. Uh, I had a couple of experiences I want to tell you about. First of all, it was beautiful because it was within 15 minutes. Okay. okay. Um, and I'm going to skip ahead to, to this part just because it's more funny. But uh, I was in Connecticut, right? So I'm in, in the area, so to speak. The den of the beast. Yes, yeah. Continue. I'm, I'm driving through. You know, half of it, I'm sure, is Yankees country. The other half is Red Sox country. I don't care. All right. Den but, of the beast. Gotcha. Right. So I'm driving along. I'm, I'm in Orioles clothes and a hat because I was going to go right to the game once I got there. And, I, sir, whoever you are out there, it was a gray or maybe a silver uh, Nissan Rogue like slash SUV slash car thing. Dude in Orioles gear, clearly going to the same place I was, flew past me because I drive like an old man, and he like gave me a nod and, and a little, tip of the cap. A tip of the cap. And like as he was tipping the cap, like did the whole point like onward. Onward. Yep. It, was, it was a super cool moment. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Swear to God, 15 minutes later, a guy – in in complete Yankees garb, gave me the finger as he drove by. There you go. As I'm wearing all my Orioles clothes in my in my car with with uh, Maryland tags, so that had to make you feel good, though. It was kind of the alpha and omega, but I was glad that we were worthy of the middle finger now. Yeah, kind of that makes me would make me happy. And let's talk for a moment about New York because I had to stop uh, in New York right before I got over the George Washington Bridge. Partially because I had to pay to get across the George Washington yep. Bridge. Uh, also because, as you know, I have old man bladder. Anyway, so I stopped to use the rest stop at uh, at this place uh, right outside New York, and I had the quintessential New York bathroom experience. Everybody's got one. This is my story. So I get in there, and and you know most of the most of the commodes are taken, so to speak, and and you have to fill the gap in between two guys at the urinal. It's a very awkward thing for for males of this generation. Anyway. There's this guy, he's uh, wearing, wearing a Yankees cap, thick, thick accent, and he looks at me, and he's, he's being funny. He's not being a jerk, but he looks at me, and he goes, yeah, hey, hey, Baltimore, what are you doing here? Which, you know, we should have had Sam Dingman record yeah. this line. But, you know, he's, he's being funny, right? So I look over at him, I said, well, right now I'm pissing in your state, which I thought was good, right? Yeah. So he goes, yeah, 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 you're all right. And he goes to give me a high five, and I'm like, no. 
That is not no. that is not happening here. That is not happening in so my world. So this is what happens at New York trucker rest stops. Basically, <laughs> I was like, sir, Yankees fans and Orioles fans bond by giving each other high fives at urinals. It was the weirdest <laughs> thing I have ever been a part of. So anyway, that's my travel. I get to Boston. And and then the real fun starts. Uh, we saw games on Friday and on Saturday, and we walked all around this. I literally walked from one in the city to the other. Um, but okay, I, so from a, I mean, I've been to Fenway before. I have my own opinions. You, you've never been to Fenway before. This is your first time going to Fenway. I, really one of the oldest parks that you've ever been to as well, because you've never been to Wrigley either. I've never been anywhere. So, well, exactly. That's true. You haven't been anywhere. I mean, Nationals Park doesn't and count. I, I've been to a majority of the parks within within the sure. within the continental U.S. Um, so I guess my aspect is, Jake, walking into such a historic ballpark, which is Fenway Park, thoughts? Well, I think this is your fault. Yeah. I was ready for an absolute dump. Okay. I was ready for a stadium that was dilapidated, falling apart. I was ready for a stadium that just was you know, not sufficient for Major League Baseball, but was holding on for the sake of tradition. And Scott, I found it to be anything but that. I found it to be charming. I thought that it was in great shape. I was expecting to see, you know, obvious signs of wear and tear. And and I will give you this. It's early in the season. Yeah. So maybe it's the type of th- deal where they give it a fresh up at the beginning of every season and by the end it looks like crap. But from what I saw... You can't smear lipstick on a pig and make it look good. I'm sorry. Scotty, I really enjoyed that stadium. and And here's why. Because we had <sighs> seats in the bleachers, all right? Mm-hmm. We had seats in the bleachers, but we came in in the wrong en- entrance, and I couldn't get there. Don't you so always had, come in the wrong entrance? Yes. <laughs> I had to walk all the way around the stadium, and so I took the opportunity to look around and make sure I was getting, yep. you know, the full Monty, so yeah. to speak. Scott, I thought it was beautiful. And and I will say, one of the, the critiques I've heard about it is is that the sight lines are poor. Mm-hmm. And so I did not sit in the grandstand. You know, I sat out, sure. you know, facing home plate. Right. So I'll give you that. Maybe maybe it's different experience elsewhere. But I was, I, I thought it was lovely. I thought it was a really nice classic park. I I could I could feel the history there. And and that sounds cheesy, but that's the kind of guy I am. I really enjoyed it. Okay, I'll, I'll let you have this one since you don't get out that often and you've got <laughs> poor taste regardless. So let's continue on. Let's go through some of the moments that was at Fenway Park. Well, first, let me uh, let me tell you that Sweet Caroline is worse in person than you could possibly imagine from watching. Bum, bum, bum. Oh God, it was no good, no good, no good. Mm. Um, th- here's something cool: they have a real live organist. Okay, I was actually just thinking about this too, and I was thinking about organ music when we were at Camden Yards and how they pipe in fake ones. I'm like, man, real life organ music is a lost art at baseball games. So I will give a tip of the cap to that. Real life organist at any baseball park, that gets a tip of the cap from me. And the funny thing about it is they don't just play old timey music. They play like modern pop songs on the organ. Yeah, but you don't recognize those, so Well no, well, no, I don't. But your wife's just like, ooh, that's this. Basically, that's how it worked, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I I, th- I thought it was really cool. Um <laughs> here's something I felt terrible. Um, the PA announcer I found to be very boring. Okay. And uninspired, and I thought to myself, gosh. How lucky are we to have Ryan Wagner? Thank God we have our wag 614. Absolutely. And so, you know, I may have let him know on the Twitters. Hey, you're great and you're amazing. I love your bow ties. A little bit of Twitter bro love. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, right? But he tweeted me back and told me that the gentleman that's serving as the P announcer is a replacement for actually somebody that the, the Boston community lost, um, which made me feel like a terrible person. Well, you're a horrible individual and you deserve to burn in a fire. But I, I will say that the, the ballpark experience... Uh, definitely lacking the PA announcer uh, standpoint. 
Last thing about the park itself. Uh, so I, I told you I sat in the bleachers, which was really cool. Yeah. It was really cool. Um, and But the thing was that the last section, like where the, the green monster and the bleachers meet. Yep. Was was tarped off. Yes. You know why that's the case, right? No. Okay. It was actually really simple. Back in the day, there were people that would sit there and they would wear white. And what would happen is when the ball was released. So it's a batter's eye thing? It's a batter's eye thing. It would almost be, it would almost blend into a certain regard. So that section was roped off and basically covered off to a certain regard because it would help the ball to blend in when the the ball was released. Now, do they sell those seats in the playoffs? I do not believe they do anymore. That's Um, crazy. You would think that they would just wipe out those seats entirely. Yeah. I think they might keep it for like hockey games and stuff like that. They are there occasionally. Um, but no, I don't think they sell those during the playoffs as well. But specifically, that that issue was raised about um, you know ball placement and saying, "Hey, this is blending in; we can't see it because I didn't, the crowd that's out I didn't there. think about that. Yeah. I assumed that the monster was was in the batter's eye, but that's yeah. that's really interesting. Um, look, can I tell you a little something about what I uh, what I observe from from Boston fans? First yeah, of all, some of the earth. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I, I want your. Tell me what you think when you when you hear Boston fans. I think them just like the New York individual that you met in the bathroom. Um, but <laughs> trying to touch me? That is trying to touch you, um, except mm, maybe a slightly different accent, but basically the same kind of genus and uh, subgenus at the same time. So, yeah, that's basically what I, I consider them to be. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid we're going to come to blows. I'm afraid I'm going to let you down. Scott Jake not, must have been really drunk during this I'm trip. I'm not so much afraid of making you a, a angry as I am that I'm going to disappoint you. Well, Scott, too late. The Boston <laughs> fans could not have been nicer to us. They could not have been nicer. And and maybe you know, it's the fact that the the Red Sox fans that we know are transplants here in the Mid-Atlantic or dark period turncoats that took the pink hat nation, whatever it was. The fans that I met in Boston in the stadium around the city, in the hotels, in the bars, what have you. They were friendly. They were knowledgeable. They had a great sense of humor about the Sox, about the Orioles, about the nature of rivalry, about just how the last decade of ball has, has played out. And uh, you know, everybody was just incredibly gracious. And, and I have a theory. It's possible that you know, being marathon weekend up there and what happened last year, maybe everybody's feeling a little bit of that. You know, let's pull together, uh, pull the oars the same direction type of way. Maybe it would have been different if it had been late September during a pennant race. But I got to be honest, they let me down for being jerks. I got to disagree entirely with this. Coming back to the whole Ortiz ejection and chanting "Poppy, Poppy," I just think that you're too. That's what I'm looking for. Oh, wasted is the word I'm looking for <laughs> for you to completely, you know, whenever you're at a party and you're wasted, it's that like drunken aspect of like, yeah, that guy's my friend. But really, he's not really your friend. He's just trying to get you off of him. So, Jake, you just keep thinking that Red Sox Nation is a great uh, a bunch of individuals. We know that's not the case. No, they're, they're not. They're not the case here. But uh, that may be all I see of them for a while. Here's something that's interesting. Ballpark culture. Okay. I wasn't sure what to expect because I feel like we have a, a you know, a code, so to speak, at Camden Yards. There's a certain etiquette that everybody seems to to adhere to because you've been there so often. And, and I feel like that etiquette has actually changed over the last couple of years. We talked about it in the playoffs. There was a distinct difference between the etiquette that you see during the season versus, you know, the people there in the playoffs that maybe don't come every day. Yeah. But uh, very interesting in, in uh, Boston, they don't sell beer in the stands. That is true. They do not do that. And I think that is a detriment. And the reason mm. is, is because people are getting up 
all of the time. So this would explain why that one guy kept getting up when we were at the so-called game, thinking that he had to get up and get his own beer as opposed to the beer being passed to him. The thing is, they stood up and they cleared through the row and like were no, they rather large individuals <laughs> so you couldn't see the game. No, they, they were. No, I, you know what? There were no fat people in front of me. Well, imagine that. But the the thing is, they did you let the Red Sox know that you were coming so they wouldn't position fat people in front of you? No, I, I just couldn't get over it. Like, okay. dude, wait till the play is over. And and you know maybe it's the fact that we sat in the bleachers and we are sat, surrounded by as many tourists wearing socks gear as those in orange black. Uh, you know, I, I wonder if maybe those are the people that can't get Red Sox tickets very often, you know, just like we can. Uh, I'd be interested to see what it's like in the grandstand. I, where did you sit when you went to Fenway? I sat in the grandstand on the first base side, pretty much against the back. Um, so, so you couldn't see a darn thing? Couldn't see much of a thing at all. Um, and I was like 14 or 15 at the time. Hmm. Um, and I was right. So a, beer sale is not a big deal for you? Beer sale is not a big sale thing for me. But again, I did. I do remember remember that now thinking back to it. But again, I was also right at the peak of heights. I was like six foot one at the time, and getting into the, that those grandstand sections um, was mighty difficult. So that may also be a difference that I ex- experienced because they, by the way, sell whole pizzas at Fenway, mm. and we took a whole pizza in the in the pizza box back to our seats. I had no problem fitting it between us and the next seat. Yeah, see, I, that was not the case in the grandstands, yeah. at least where I was sitting. Maybe, maybe I was, you know, the beneficiary of some. Uh, extended leg room yeah you are a short individual so <laughs> well there is that you know what was plenty going on and this is something that you tweeted was uh there was a lot of the wave going on during the fenway game dude they're all about the wave and and i will say that as and a- you still stuck up for them how can you do this dfa the wave immediately dfa wave of people that are doing the wave this is inconsistent i, I will tell you that that much um as a fan it was a little professionally embarrassing <laughs> to see them do that uh, and to see them care that much about it. And I, I think I tweeted it out because it was uh, runners on second and third for the Orioles. Yeah. Tight game. Yep. Yep. Late innings. So you're saying there's a baseball game going on. It, was, it, it wasn't just a game. It was tense. Yeah. Except for all of the people doing the wave. It, yep. it drove me nuts. Uh, they also did beach balls, which, dude, pay attention to the games. Now... The other thing that you mentioned I saw in your picture is this. It looked like there was a pretty good amount of empty seats, which kind of surprises me. I know that tickets were a little bit on the hard side to get, and especially being Marathon Weekend, I'm a little surprised that there were that many empty seats. I don't I don't know what to think about that. Because first of all, I went during basically what what is a local holiday weekend. So let's, you know, people's okay. schedules are screwed up. I get that. Sure, and that means you'd be giving your tickets away to somebody else that could actually go to the game. Right. And the stadium holds, what, 30, 38,000 people? 38,000, yeah. And it's a huge fan base, yeah. right? I have no idea why that was. You know, maybe it's the deal that the Orioles just aren't that big a draw. Or maybe it's just <laughs> fan base. Well, there is that. <laughs> there is that. Um, the other thing about, you know, that is that the weather was unpredictable, so to speak. Um, but yeah, no, I was, I was a little disappointed with the crowds there, but let's, let's go ahead and, t- and talk about the games. And I am, I'm at a disadvantage cause I was there and I feel like I can't pay as close attention. You know, I don't get the real flavor of the game. So I'm going to need you to fill in the blanks. I was, uh, let's talk about Friday. Okay. Well, like I said, most people have seen these games. They've seen Friday's game and Saturday games. So we're not going to focus too much on give and take, but we're going to f- focus on ebb and flow as a major event. So let's talk about Jimenez on Friday's game. Cause that's the big story that came out of that. 
Um, Jake, where were you in the stadium when he when this happened? Well, let let me let me go back. Okay, I was out getting that pizza that I mentioned uh. <laughs> during the takeout slide. Oh, okay, so I had no idea. So you had no idea what was what had drawn this ire, basically. Right, I had no idea that there was a thing. Right, right, and so Jimenez hits him, and he's tossed immediately, and n- nobody else who was there during the during the takeout slide thought it was related or knew what was going on either. Yeah. Except there was a Cardinals fan behind me, uh, a very drunk, very loud, very obnoxious Cardinals fan who... Uh, Devil magic Cardinals. I know. Who told me basically that uh, anytime a pitcher hits a batter, it means that the manager is thrown out immediately because he knows all things about baseball. And by that, I mean nothing. But it was it was weird. Um I was totally mystified because he was ejected right away and we had no idea what was going on. It wasn't explained, obviously, at the park. Let me ask you, I, did you watch the game or did you listen to it on the radio? I listened to it on the radio, but was watching video streams of it as well um, what, when it went live. What did the announcers have to say? Um, Masson was completely confused about the situation for about, I'd say about a minute or so. And then they started going back after Buck pointed out to second base um, basically indignant, and they're like, "Well, maybe they're talking about the scope issue where Sandoval ran into him." But it was very confusing. I lost, also watched the Nesson thing, and they were a little bit more confused. But we're like, "Oh, it's probably retaliation." Um, so people put two and two together, but it really was Jordan Baker putting two and two together for the rest of people. I think if it was just a hit by batsman and the bat, and Sandoval wouldn't gone to first base, no one would have raised an eyebrow. Now let me let me ask you. I mean, do you think that it was involved? Not at all. It's it's about a Jimenez, three walks already on the night, and you know a pitch just got away from him. I don't think it was intentional whatsoever. I try very hard to at least admit to myself when I'm being a homer. I mean, I do, you know. But something Buck said was actually pretty pretty. It spoke volumes to me when when I watched the post game interview. He said that hard slide into second is the type of baseball that we aspire to be, and. I mean, I, I honestly believed him in that moment. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, think about the slide that Steve Pierce took last year that yep. pissed off the Yankees. That is what the Orioles try to do. And I, I can't imagine that making them angry. The other thing, you know, you you said it, uh, talking about Obaldo Jimenez and his command. And I get that. But, I mean, let's talk about Jimenez for a little while. I, I hate to say it, but he wasn't carrying as, as good a stuff as he had in his last start. But compared to what we saw last year, it was another good start from him. I still like how he's being aggressive in the zone. And yes, he gave up three walks, but the strike zone certainly wasn't great that night as it was. So I, I just like the aggressiveness at the plate to basically put balls in play and allow the defense to try to try to be okay. Um, so let's see what Jimenez does in his third start. But again, two interesting starts so far by Abodo Jimenez. Liking what I'm seeing. Still a little high on the walk side, but still something I'm willing to work with not getting rocked. And not again, rocked. we've talked about in the past. And I think you made an excellent point earlier this season that if he can just be anything, you know, other than the, the, you know, the worst starter we had last year, it'll be huge things for this team. Um, Jonathan scope, his injury. I, I watched that live. Honestly, I think you and I probably differ on opinion here. And so I want to shut up for a second and let you, let you get to it. Sure. When do you think he got hurt on Friday night? I think he got hurt on both instances. I think that, the slide probably wasn't the primary issue. Um, I do believe that the primary issue was him tripping over the bag, but I also don't think the slide helped in any regard. So, uh, it, it, you know, when I look at a situation, I don't say, oh, it had to be 
that instance. There's a multitude of factors that occur when these situations occur. I strongly think that the slide may have exasperated the issues and made the the given uh, PCL uh, sore and more perhaps more vulnerable. Um, and then when scope went across the bag, I think it basically it was the straw that broke the camel's back. So if you're looking for the aspect of this is what happened and this initiated it, then I'm going to go with the tripping over the base. Yeah. And, and I didn't take from, cause I was watching you on Twitter that night. Yeah. I didn't take from your observation that you were wearing the tinfoil cap, but I, I think that you do have a legit point when you say, you know, if he hadn't tweaked it during the slide, there's a good chance that he, you know, he would have been all right. Right. Coming through that, that I mean, pit. we're talking about a PCL grade one, which is a strain. It's the lowest thing. That means a little bit of, there was a little bit of a torn, um, you know, it's not like a pop of a tendon where it's like, oh my gosh, it's Manny on the ground. He's grabbing his knee. Shh, we don't say that. Oh anymore. yeah, that's right. <laughs> but this is a situation where it could have been just swelling as the game went on and went on. And you know, scope tripping over the bag. Yes, it was a stretch, but I also feel like he may have been losing strength at that point and swelling up, and then he was starting to notice at that point, saying, "Uh, something's not right." So you you had a much better view of it on the TV than I did from center field. And so I, I'm going to have to defer to you. I didn't think that the slide had anything to do with it. But then again, I didn't see the slide. Yeah. Because I was. And the Orioles, of course, came out and said, oh, it's, it wasn't the slide whatsoever. Right. But they have to say that. They mm-hmm. have to say, yeah. oh, yes, it was him tripping over the bag. Because they're going to come out and say, yeah, it was a slide that did it, too. Then there is going to be constant eyes of anybody, you know, coming the ball in and stuff like that, too. So. Two observations real quick about sure. that that thing that I, I saw live. When he hit the bag and came across like that, I thought it was very strange that none of the trainers rushed out to the look mm-hmm. at him. I thought it was really weird that nobody came out to look at him. And I was like, oh, I guess he must be fine. Because I, I think very highly of both uh, Ebel and Ban Sells that if something, you know, even smells wrong, they're out there right away. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he, he apparently... And Sells has the mustache. So, I mean, he can actually, you know, it just gets caught up in that mustache aura and just... Gets, he just knows. Scope must have faked it pretty well yeah. to get past them. But I will say, in the, I think it was the ninth inning, a ball ate up Scope and got right yeah. through him. And I turned to to my wife and I said, that's that's not like Scope that's at all. That's really yeah. weird. And then when I heard later that he was hurt, I was like, you know what? PCL, mobility, makes sense. footwork, that does make a lot more right. sense. But again, that kind of makes sense back to my point, which is if he got injured in the slide, even partially, it would explain to a certain regard lack of mobility and weirdness with the situation when he was crossing first base. I'm not saying that was the entire issue. He did go very awkwardly with the stretch into first base. I just think that you just build, 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 and this built up into a crescendo. Absolutely. All right. Um, so let, that was a terrible game to go on Friday, by the way, of walk-off and everything like that. It was a terrible game because I was there. Yeah, it's okay. But Saturday... Saturday game was a little bit better. Um, uh, let, let me let me put it this way. By the seventh inning, the stands were emptying with the Sox down a run. Okay, well, that just comes back to the horrible fan base. Talk to me about when Davis hit the home run that went over the Green Monster. Opposite field. What did it look like in person? And how did Boston fans react? Um, they were pissed. <laughs> they were super pissed. And like, were they super pissed at you, or were they just super pissed at their team? No, they were super pissed at their team. And and I said that the stands started to fill out. They they left Empty. at that point. They were just yeah. done. Because uh, you know, Chris Davis struck out two or three times that. I think he struck out three times that game. Uh, yes, he struck out three times that game. So he went two for five that game, right? With three strikeouts and three RBI or yeah. something crazy like that. But the, the funny thing about that is that when it when it left the bat, you knew it was gone. And I was very careful to be respectful the whole time I was there. Yeah. But I stood up and, and clapped as the ball was leaving because I knew it was gone. Yeah. 
you know, because it, it had that high arc. So you were that dick, okay? No, no, no. <laughs> I was, I was, but no, it was it was nice to see in person, especially because you know, and and again, I will admit to being the, the homer here. I want Chris Davis to do well for Chris Davis. Yeah. You know, as much as it helps the Orioles, I want that guy to do well. What did you think about David Ortiz getting thrown out, trying to stretch his single into a double? I just keep thinking about that image that goes across Twitter all the time of yeah. like, is David Ortiz is David Ortiz getting to second? Still waiting. It was that. <laughs> Why does he run? Why does he run? And it was a good prep for Boston fans are willing to forgive that guy for anything mm-hmm. because nobody said anything. Nobody. It, it was very awkward. Well, if David Ortiz is going to be David Ortiz, I think we can talk about his ejection maybe at a later point in the show. But Jake, I want to go back to the whole Jonathan Scope issue. Um, I want to talk about some injuries that are going on in the Orioles and um, and just get a feel for what you think it is. So let's go to the medical wing in a different portion of the show. Okay, that, that would seem appropriate. For anyone that uh, doesn't have children, that is Doc McStuffin, by the way, if you ever want to check it up. So Jonathan Scope um, is going to be out reportedly by the Orioles four to six weeks with a partially PCL tear grade one and an MCL strain. The ACL apparently is clean. Um, he was injured by the Orioles saying going through the bag. Conspiracy theories like myself believe that the son of a hard slide had something to do with it. Um, you know, call is pessimistic, but I'm not buying the timeline. Uh, we had an individual, Will Carroll, um, tweet about, uh, you can follow him at injury expert. He tweeted that the PCL will be tough to rehab, um, because of all the footwork with second base. And again, Jonathan scope is an okay second baseman in terms of range, but his arm and his ability to position himself for that double play is absolutely critical for his value on this team. Um, getting that footwork back, but also the ability to turn it quickly is going to be a key aspect for whether or not he can actually play second base for the Baltimore Orioles in the near future. Uh, and, and I want to ask you, Scott, because I, I, I'm with you when I think that that four to six weeks is is completely optimistic and the Orioles are sticking by it at this point. And again, you know, they're the professionals, we're not. But at the same time, when you look at all the footwork that needs to happen at second base, when you look at how nimble you have to be to make those plays and not just Second base is a different position than it used to be because of all the shifting, mm-hmm. you know? And beyond that, you have guys going in like Sandoval, hard in the second. It's not the type of thing that you can go back to unless you're really ready. And, you know, color me a pessimist, but I don't feel like Jonathan Scope is going to be able to come back from this in six weeks and not have it linger. Yeah. I, I think back to the uh, current situation that's going on, actually, just a little south of us with Anthony Rendon at third base. Very, I'm not saying exactly the same, but a similar injury got hurt in March, and still there's no timetable for his return at this time. And we're at six weeks out now. I just don't see a player like Jonathan Scope coming back in that four to six range. I think six weeks is over by a long shot. I'm looking at two to three months minimum, two months maybe to even get back to baseball activities, three months before he joins the Orioles. I'm looking at him coming back post All Star break. That's just me. I hate to tell you you're right, but I think you're right. Let me take it one step further. And I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but 
when he comes back, how how close to one hundred percent can he be at that? Point? Yeah, I, I I don't know, and that's just uh, we're not. I don't think it's necessary for us to speculate. But the one thing I wanted to talk about on this was the Orioles have a history now of I'm not sure the word misleading on injuries is the right topic, but being very optimistic about injuries. Let's go back last year with the Matt Weeder's injury to his arm. A lot of people said, oh, you know, you should go get the Tommy Johnson. They're like, oh, no, we're going to hold off. You know, he might be able to get the arm strength back. And then sure enough, up Tommy John surgery. And you're like, well, great. It would have been nice to have that done, you know, two months earlier because, you know, it's a nine-month lead time. And now we're looking at it like, oh, yeah, that'd be nice to have Matt Weeders back in the lineup right now. Similar situation with Manny Machado. It was like, hey, Machado gets hurt. And it's like, well, you're going to do surgery, right? And they're like, no, we're going to hold off for a little bit and just see what happens. Oh, wait, now we're going to do the surgery because, you know, we don't think he can actually get back for the playoffs. This whole aspect of timetables is is an issue from last year and even this year with the J.J. Hardy situation. J.J. Hardy falling down the field, and you're just like, eh, that sucks. He won't start the season. You know, he'll go on the 15-day L, and he'll come back sometimes mid-April. But J.J. Hardy hasn't even got into rehab assignments in Bowie yet. He's still working off hitting off the tee. That screams to me that he's going to be at rehab assignments at least for another week or two. Um, you know, it basically turned an injury that we were told by the Orioles, oh, maybe two weeks to a month and plus know, plus exactly. So coming into this whole season, it was, don't worry. The Orioles are going to be in great shape because they're going to be getting players back healthy. They're going to get Manny Machado back healthy and they're going to get Chris Davis back healthy and they're going to get Matt Weeders back healthy. But this early in the season, You've lost Jonathan Scope, you've lost J.J. Hardy, and Matt Weider still has not returned, not to mention Chris Davis is still hot and cold, hot and cold, and hot and cold. So is, so is Machado. Right. But this notion by people in the Orioles base, but also national media saying the Orioles are going to be fine because they're going to be healthy this year was a ridiculous conversation piece that you know a lot of people brought up, and we brought it up on this show saying it's kind of silly to think that because there are going to be injuries, and there are going to have to be people that stepped up in their place. Now, one person that stepped up in the place since Jonathan Scope has gone down has been Jimmy Paredes. Really interesting choice to bring up, but it makes sense kind of with the bat. He's been absolutely on fire since coming up. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what they're going to do with him and whether they're going to try to keep him. I personally love Jimmy Paredes. I think he offers a lot of benefit, more so than, oh, I don't know, a Delman Young, for example, um, as a potential DH option in this lineup. Yeah, the problem is, and and again, let's go back to the foot, the, the fingerprint of this team is defense, right? Yeah, and and Buck Showalter says you have to have a, uh, a premium on defense in order to play here. Sure, and he's kind of a man without a position because Paredes plays third base, and he plays the corner outfield, and we've got a dearth of outfielders, including your your boy uh, Delman Young. Yep. Uh, but, you know, Manny Machado is going to be allowed to work through this slump because of what he provides defensively. Sure. So the only place that Jimmy Paredes can really play is DH right now. Yeah, I think that, you know, if you look at Jimmy Paredes, it's going to have to come down to Jimmy Paredes versus Delman Young for a roster spot. And one of those is going to have to be picked. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Let's just say, hypothetically, hypothetically, you're willing to do without mm, Delman Young. Okay. Or, I'm sorry, uh, David Lowe. I knew you were going to go with the David Lowe topic. All right. Let's say let's say you get rid of David Lowe in favor of Jimmy Paredes. Yeah. Jimmy Paredes can possibly, and I say possibly, very possibly, play the corner outfielders. Yes. While Alejandro uh, Diazza goes to center field. While Alejandro Diazza rides the pine because he's struggling. 
or while Steve Pierce rides mm-hmm. the pine while he's struggling, isn't it nice to kind of have an option in the corner outfielder like Jimmy Paredes who's hitting the cover off the ball? Yeah. Um, don't, don't you deal with, with crappy defensive players if they can bat in the corner outfield positions? Yeah. I, the the only – yeah, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Um, I just – I think I'd rather have a David Lowe on the team in, in that regard, but I don't know. It's one of those things where the Orioles have done a great job over the past three years in limiting negatives on their team and keeping positives on team, regardless of whether they're small positives or little positives. And I really raised the question of what is Dumb and Young really bringing to this team right now that it's a net positive? I think, you know, David Lowe can offer, you know, some benefit defensively. Offensively, no, not even going to try to justify it. Jimmy Freddy is off, obviously, is giving certain offensive benefits. I just don't know if the legend of Delman Young during the regular season, as you like to point out, can continue for much longer. Uh, I am. Uh, I'm going to hold off, but I, 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 I can't argue the point. I think that you, you have, you've got me there. I don't want you to be right, but I, I can't counter it. Um, can, can we, as far as the the medical wing is concerned? Sure. Um, I, I think one of the key reasons that Jimmy Perinis is here is that one of the other key options down in the minors, um, I say key options, it's kind of a misleading, but Ray Navarro is on the minor league disabled list, mm-hmm. and he is a middle infielder, which is basically what we needed when uh, when uh, uh, Scope went down. Because the thing is, is that we don't have a utility infielder that can play the middle infield right now. Right. You know, we've got, we've got uh, Flaherty, we've got Cabrera, but until Hardy comes back, those guys have to play every day. Because there is nobody to play uh, short or second base without that guy, I think that for for that reason, Ray Navarro would have been the next guy up if he were not hurt. I think Jimmy Perez would have came up because he was on a DL DL rehab assignment. Ray Navarro had options; he could be optioned. Jimmy Perez can't be optioned. I think they want to see what they have in Jimmy Perez. See if he has a hot bat. He obviously does have a hot bat. Um, I think they just wanted to see if they could catch lightning in a bottle. And right now, it looks like they caught lightning in a bottle once again. Well, we need Orioles that. magic. Um, so that's kind of the medical wing that we wanted to talk about regarding this whole aspect of who's hurt, the promise of this offseason with nobody getting hurt magically. Um, but I'd like to go and talk about another topic that is a little sore to my heart. Jake, um, you want to talk K minus walk percentage? Can I ask you something? Yeah. Is your ego on the DL? And I just gotta keep insisting, oh baby, you sure do swing. When it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting, oh daddy, you are the king. Baby, you got me beat up and down, inside out and across. Oh yeah. But in the middle of the night, when the moon is shining brighter, you're the boss. All right, so we're at Fantasy Boss here. This is where each Jake and me actually picked a topic and uh, look at a stat uh, to see who outperformed each other. So last week we talked about, I actually picked strikeouts minus walk percentage, which takes a look at the strikeouts per plate appearance minus the walks per plate appearances and figures out, you know, how you do in comparison. So, uh, Jake, you went with Darren O'Day, who posted 41.7K percentage to a 83 Walk percentage giving you 33.3%. Uh, pretty decent uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio. 
I picked uh, Brad Rock, 36.4K percent uh, with a 9.1 walk percentage, giving me 27.3. Good for second place this week. Jake, we picked the top players for the week. You got first. I got second. Very impressive for the both of us. But yet, you were the boss this week. Congratulations. Well, going with the Boston theme, since I am apparently in love with that city and love yes. with that stadium, I'm trying to go from worst to first this year. Uh, okay, well, let's put you back in the worst category. So let's go from there. All Jake, right. you get to pick the category this week. Let's go ahead and pick one. I'm going to go with something that, you know, I, I, I did some research this week. Oh, God, here it comes. I know, but I'm going to need you to set me straight. Okay. I'm going to go with infield fly ball percentage. Okay. Looking at the pitchers. Looking at the pitchers. Because, okay. uh, again, and I'm going to need you to set me straight. This is a stat that you can look at from a pitcher's uh, perspective of do they induce infield fly balls, and you can look at it from a hitter's standpoint, meaning do they initiate contact for weak uh, sure. infield fly balls. So I, I want to look at this from the pitcher's standpoint. Tell me a little bit about this stat and what does it mean? What does it, what does it measure? What does it tell us? It's kind of a controversial stat. Again, from the batter's standpoint, it really doesn't mean anything. It's kind of random noise. But from the pitcher stat, there has been a predominant topic now of infield fly ball being an indication, like you said, of weak contact people. You've seen people like Clayton Kershaw have a very high infield fly ball percentage because when ball contact is made, they basically are able to keep it to a weak pop-up, basically. Um, so we're always talking about, oh, if it's a fly ball, 10% of the time, it's a home run. That's on average. Well, in this case... You know, we want to take a look at infield fly balls because if you can generate them, that's an indication that maybe you can reduce your batted ball profile to a certain aspect. Because the important thing about this is, and I was wrong about this, I thought infield fly ball percentage was how many how many balls of contact were infield fly balls, but it's actually how many of your fly balls mm-hmm. are infield fly, which means how many of your of your fly balls are weak contact. Correct. All right, so we're we're talking about this as far as the pitchers. You want to talk about which pitchers induce weak contact in the air. Scott Magnus, who are you taking this week for your fantasy boss for infield fly ball percentage? I've got to go with the individual that I wrote an article about infield fly ball percentage and generating weak contact. I've got to go with Jim Palmer. I mean, Miguel Gonzalez, obviously, for my infield fly ball percentage. I think he'll do pretty well this week. That is a that is a really good one. He was he was number three on my list. Okay. He was number three on my list. I'm gonna go with Chris Tillman. Okay. Because when you look at Chris Tillman, Chris Tillman is actually one of the leaders in the Orioles staff the past three years in this category. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. I thought I read somewhere before that he was not a very good infield fly ball percentage pl- player, but apparently I was wrong about that. It, it, it's not that I read everything I could about this stat. It's that I read everything I could about this Okay. But so I'm going to go with. Uh, I've also read that Brian Mattis is pretty good in terms of infield fly ball percentage, which would surprise me. But, I was really surprised, but by apparently that. he's had relatively good success over that for several seasons. So, uh, you know, when we look at Brian Mattis, you know, you're saying, oh, he's a fly ball pitcher, but he actually is a pretty decent fly ball pitcher in terms of generating weak contact. It's just that we focus on him more times than not when he gives up that fly ball to end the game, and also when he walks everyone yes. in the land. <laughs> exactly. So Darren O'Day was also Darren O'Day is also a good one, but yeah. Uh, so infield fly ball percentage, I'm going Miguel Gonzalez as a starter. You are going with Chris Tillman, Chris as, Tillman a starter. as a starter as well. Interesting conversation piece for infield fly ball. The Orioles are a great infield fly ball team, um, according to their Z-score. They are well above the average. Um, they're about twice as good um, as the league average in terms of generating infield fly balls. Um, so as a team, very good infield fly ball percentage team. So everyone that says, oh, they're a fly ball pitcher uh, rotation, that's not necessarily a bad thing being an infield fly ball 
uh, with their infield fly ball rate. Um, Jake, with that, you want to go through uh, last week? And um, let's go through our good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. So, uh, Jake, why don't you go ahead and start this week um, and start off who your good is for the week. All right. Before we get too deep into the good and bad and the ugly, I want to challenge all of you out there in Birdland, all of you that are like fools paying attention to this program. I'm going to tweet out. We're going to tweet out every week, you know, what is your good, bad, and the ugly? And that's your opportunity to not only show your prowess when it comes to uh to evaluating the orioles but also your chance to sway our votes yes we we need to know what you the orioles fans are thinking so we will tweet it out with the hashtag o's good o's bad o's ugly let us know and and throughout the week when you see something tweet it out just tweet it out saying that's an o's ugly yeah we just like to see and feel because you can oftentimes inspire this uninspired podcast well, let me tell you about a little bit of inspiration. When I asked this week, an overwhelming majority of folks said Adam Jones. However, there was another small <laughs> <laughs> there was another small vocal minority that told me that Caleb Joseph needed to be the O's good this week. Yeah. And I gotta be honest, I think they're right. In fifteen at bats, he's got eight hits, including a home run and four RBIs. But here's the thing that I really appreciate about him three walks. Mm. Not only is he hitting the ball, he's also getting on base. Caleb Joseph has been an incredible surprise. The bottom, you know, the bottom third bottom of the order, order, yeah, producing in the hole that we thought the Matt Weeders was going to leave. For the meantime, whether or not he can do it at an extended rate, who cares? For this week, Caleb Joseph was good. Look, I'm all with everybody else that's on Twitter talking about Adam Jones. Adam Jones is playing like an MVP player right now. He is beyond on fire. He is muy in fuego. But he's not my good for this week. My good for the week is going to have to go to, you know it, Jim Palmer. Anyone that is not following Jim Palmer on Twitter, at Jim22 Palmer, needs to be following him immediately. He has been taking Red Sox fans to task for basically their support of David Ortiz. He tweeted out during Sunday's game, which he wasn't broadcasting. Thank goodness David Ortiz was ejected. There's a great article on Baltimore Sports Report detailing some of the tweets. But Monday night while we're broadcasting this, Jim Palmer has taken to Twitter and has basically eviscerated Red Sox fans that have come to the aid and support of David Ortiz. Jim Palmer gets my good for the week. I love that. I love that so much. Let's talk about the bad, shall we? Okay. I'm going to go ahead and talk about the bad. And again, I lead off this this whole good, bad, and the ugly thing because we need to leave you to to come in as the closer for ugly because the uh, the quality of your rants far exceed the quality of my own. But I'm going to talk about my bad for this week. And my bad is a little embarrassing because my bad was my good last week. Bad this week for the Orioles was Alejandro Deaza not getting it done at the top of the plate. Look, I, I know that... Uh, I know the batting average is kind of a silly stat now in, in this uh, modern world that we live in, but 105 for this week. Oof. All right, with 19 at-bats, and that's important with the way that the outfield has been, you know, platoon. With 19 at-bats, he's gotten two hits, and uh, he's gotten he's gotten one walk. 
but he struck out six times this week. Yeah, I'm going to come back to that one game on Saturday where the bases were loaded and he had that pivotal strikeout with the bases loaded. And I thought to myself, gosh, you know, I hate to say it, but Nick Marcakis wouldn't have struck out at that point. Yeah, and the, and the thing is, is the Orioles found ways to strand runners, and a strikeout is the best way to do it. Now, luckily on Saturday, they were able to come back and overcome that issue. But it was one of those one of those bad situations just like, God, we're going to blow this game. We're going to blow this game. And luckily or not, Chris Davis came through. But it was still annoying to see. It was a bad week after a good week. Yeah. Alejandro Diaz, you're on notice. Figure it out. Well, you know what was a bad performance was uh, Tommy Hunter, who, uh, well, he didn't get the loss on Friday, but he certainly didn't help on Friday night. Boom. Yeah, he went boom. Well, he actually, he went bloop. <laughs> Please don't go bloop. Please yeah. don't go bloop. So he had a dreadful uh, 17.9% left on base. So for a reliever, that's pretty, pretty horrible. Um, and in terms of win probability added, negative 0.94 for the week for a reliever. Woof. You know, Buck's right. He's come out about Tommy Hunter recently. He said he's in a funk. He's going to get out of it. He's one of our better relievers. But, Buck, I have to ask, how long are we going to have to wait? Jake, you're ugly. My ugly for this week is someone I saw in person this weekend. Mm, Okay. My ugly for this week is David Ortiz. Yeah, that's obvious. Look, I don't get this. I... I drove home on Sunday, so I didn't watch the game, but I drove home. The only broadcast that I could get over the satellite was the Boston feed. And to listen, the the announcers, by the way, were great. I was really impressed with the Boston, uh, geez, people are going to stop listening to this because of the way I've been flating Boston. But I I was really impressed with the Boston uh, broadcast. I didn't think they were terrible, except for the way they announced the petulant, childish behavior of David Ortiz. I don't understand how this guy gets away with what he gets away with. You know, he's constantly talking about being disrespected. My God, the ego on that man to constantly talk about that when he holds nothing with baseball in respect. Not the fans, not the umpires, not the opposing players. He threw his bat down on strike two because he didn't like the call. Oh, cry me a river. Cry me a river. You know what? I understand in late innings on strike three, when you've got runners in scoring position, you're disappointed because you didn't come through with your team. But when you have the gall to call out the umpire's audacity to say that they shouldn't have called you for a check swing because that takes the bat out of your hands and you're the greatest thing to offensive baseball ever to strike the city of Boston, you, sir, have a problem. David Ortiz, everyone calls Big Poppy. I'm tired of it. I'm done with the cartoon character. Don't call him by that name. The man's name is David Ortiz. Don't make him a character that what he's not. David Ortiz is a prima donna that thinks he is bigger than baseball. We talk about uh, Puig not doing the bat flip anymore because he doesn't want to disrespect baseball. That's a shame because that's entertainment. You want to talk about disrespecting baseball? How about David Ortiz thinking he's better than everything and everyone he comes into contact with? And rant, hop off of soapbox. So my ugly for the week was Jordan Baker. Just really poor performance this week. And uh, I don't think anything else needs to be said besides Jordan Baker. Not very good. <laughs> you okay with that one, Jake? Yeah, no, that's good. Okay. <laughs> I watched that in person. I'm, yeah, I'm well done. Exactly. Um, all right. Let's end the show blowing the save. Go ahead, Jake. Why don't you pop back up onto your whatever soapbox it may be? <laughs> Let me just... We just shuffle it back over and step up. Look, for blowing the save this week, I want to go. You weren't to, expecting me to go that quick. What can I say? It was a premature ejection. 
much <laughs> like Jordan Baker. Yes, exactly. Go ahead. By the way, Jordan Baker wasn't even there for the rest of the game or for the rest of the series. Suspicious. All right, let me load the save real quick. We're going to take news out of Tampa Bay, Florida, in which apparently all three fans of the Rays will take note of the fact that a certain Mr. Grant Balfour released by the club. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us here in Baltimore. The man had no zip on his fastball. He was not producing. The Rays, the Rays who were going to be in the basement, didn't want to deal with him anymore. And not only did they not want to deal with him anymore, but they're willing to eat the contract to let him go. And that's pretty bad for the Rays. Meanwhile, here in Baltimore, we had plenty of people beat up the team for turning this guy down, for voiding the contract based on the medicals. And I just want to say, in this particular instance, the Orioles seem to have come out on top on the 2020 hindsight. And I think, I think that instances like this need to give us pause for climbing up and beating up the team in that mob mentality that we do with social media and just remind folks that occasionally, occasionally, this Orioles team, though it's spearheaded by a ridiculous owner, occasionally they know what they're doing, and the armchair doctors and GMs, like you and I, who I'm sure had ridiculous opinions about it, you know what? I'm going to say, for every moment that I felt frustrated for them not signing Grant Balfour, I need to just have a little faith in the team. Yeah, but they're still stupid for giving away that 74th pick and for signing Vladimir Guerrero. So, Amen. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's going to bring it to a close for this week of Orioles baseball. Hopefully next week we're not going to have Jake Felaciate uh, Boston too much. Um, but it could be New York. It, it could be it, Toronto. Uh, please, God, I hope not. If not, we're going to end this podcast now. Uh, Jake and I are going to be on Baltimore Sports uh, post game show, um, and that'll be on Tuesday night and Thursday night this week. Uh, so check us out. Uh, you'll follow us on Twitter at BirdseyeViewBAL. We will post a link on our Twitter. It's going to be a fun time, and um, Bring your drink of the week while you're watching us, because uh, if we're going to be drunk, you should be drunk in the process as well. Jake, I have nothing else. Baltimore and beyond, and you too, Beantown. Adieu, adieu. Boston, goodbye. Never want to talk to you again. Uh, and with that, Baltimore and beyond, I wish you a fine. Good night, safe travels, and don't piss off Jim Palmer. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.